Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host this late Saturday evening, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. I'm lovely. Maybe. <laughs> welcome to episode 70. I cannot believe it's 70. That I, feels weird. We say that every week. Like, I can't believe we made it this far. It's like every episode now we're like, are people still going to like us? Are you guys still going to listen? <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. It's really weird to get this far into a podcast. I mean, we only put out episodes every two weeks, but uh, to have them out every two weeks and still hit 70, like, that's a long time. It really is. That's a long time. We're, what, two and a half years in? Yeah. Now? No, so- a year and a half year and a half two and a half it's two and a half years what we've been doing this for a while what yeah i know it's stinking crazy but here we are holy shit well welcome to the malthouse games podcast a podcast all about tabletop games card games board games role-playing games dice games rpgs which i guess i said things like that we also talk about beer i say we crack the first beer yeah the question is which one would you like would you like to have a sour or would you like to have a white ale? Let's start with a white ale. That way our taste buds are not impaled by the sour and they're still fresh. I think that sounds good. So the first beer for this episode is from Odell Brewing Co. out of Colorado. We have talked about Odell before. Their double IPA is fantastic. Uh, I think it was Mycenary. Was that what it was called? Something like that. Had a bunny in a motorcycle with a sidecar and like something else in the sidecar. Maybe. I can't remember exactly. I, 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 cannot, I have no idea what you're talking about. It was a very, very good double IPA. So this says, uh, this one is Wit Kissed White, a grapefruit white ale. It says, Wit Kissed Grapefruit White Ale is a modern take on a Belgian-style white ale with bright aromas of citrus from, from pureed grapefruit and a delicate spice from dried orange peel and coriander. Co- complex yet delicate with a clean, refreshing finish Whitkist brings an unexpected twist on tradition. It's Fort Collins, Colorado. So, in a Belgian white ale, orange peel and coriander are just staples. You have to have them, basically. Uh, They're in a lot of Belgian-style ales, but this having grapefruit puree is going to be interesting. I'm excited to try it. I can't remember if it was Odell or Oscar Blues Brewing Company, but they got sued by Guns N' Roses. Which one? uh, What was the beer? Uh... They created a beer that it was, if I remember correctly, it was a white ale, but uh, with berry, and they called it Guns and Rosé. And it was a really popular beer, but it was a limited time thing. And then Guns and Roses ended up suing them for using their name, quote unquote, which they really didn't. But the sad thing is that Guns and Roses won, so they had to change the beer name. I read something on the internet today, and maybe this is too far outside the realm of the podcast, but it said that just because somebody has money doesn't mean they deserve to win in court cases. And it's true, because in a case like that, Guns and Rosé, it's a play on Guns and Roses, but at the same time, they're not saying Guns and Roses, so it's like... But who can afford eh. the better lawyers? Guns and Roses can. Guns and Roses can, Yeah, so sadly. that was their thing, is the people with money yeah. win, and it sucks, because... We can hire a team of 19 lawyers versus you have one who's your cousin named Fred, and he just passed the <laughs> bar exam last year, and he's really qualified, but in the field of public justice or something. Bird law. Bird law. <laughs> Was it a mar- maritime law? Maritime law. There you go. That's the other one. Oh, the great ones. Okay. So what is this wit-kissed white ale? Let's give this a smell. 
And then we'll continue talking about our dissertation on how unfair the American justice system is. Right. So it's uh, it has that pungency that you kind of expect from a white Belgian. It is... Not quite wheat. It's light. It's kind of a musty. Musty sweet. Yep, it is a musty sweet. I'm no. sure it sounds so appetizing to non-beer drinkers. They're like, <laughs> right. what the hell are they drinking? Mold? It, it is a very <laughs> light yellow cloudy, almost lemonade. I would. It looks like lemonade. Yes. Or urine if you have the cold. So that's definitely a Belgian white. I'm trying to mm. get... The grapefruit is so mild, it's almost hard to distinguish. It's crisp, but it's not sharp. It has a tiny bit of like mid-mouth foam, but not a lot. Yeah, it almost tastes flat on the tongue, but then you get a little bit of the carbonation on the back of your tongue. Yeah, it's very strange how it hits, but like I'm having a trouble finding the grapefruit, and maybe since it's a puree, it's more subdued, and that's what I'm I'm tasting. The the orange peel and coriander is definitely there. But I like the grapefruit, like juice or pulp, without the white stuff. Yeah, I bet so. It's very good. It's going to be the meat of it but there's going to be no rind or no, you know, whatever. It's really good. It's simple. Uh, it's not quite what I was expecting. I think that's the thing. But, I mean, it's really good. I almost feel like that they should have finished it on top of some, like, citra hop and give it a little more of the hop profile of the grapefruit to bring it out. See, I disagree. Uh, I, I, I do love citra hops. Like, IPAs mm-hmm. are some of my favorite beers. But I like the smoothness of this, and I like that it just kind of rolls off your tongue like a wave. Whenever you swallow, that's what she said. It's just gone. It's just gone. And it's just, whoop, we're gone. It's pretty good. Well, if it's you... It's very light and very delicate. If you finish it just with a little dry hopping at the end, or at least in the last like five minutes of boil, the hops are really only going to add aroma, not going to add bitterness. So you would have a little more of the grapefruit in the aroma, and I feel like that would accentuate the very light delicateness of the grapefruit flavor to bring it more out. But that's my own opinion, and I don't know if that's true. See, but it's still good. I like it how it is. Yeah, it's very, it, it's it's still very good. smooth. Like, you don't get a lot of beers that are just like, oh, this is super smooth. That's not something I think about when I think about beers. Oftentimes, if you say, oh, this beer is smooth, this beer is, like, flat. Did you guys not carbonate it, or did you run out of CO2? But no, this is carbonated, and it's very smooth and delicate. That's it's a true. delicate beer to match this delicate can. It is a great designed can, as you will see in the little advertisement on social media. But yes, it's a, it's a really good beer. It's nothing complicated, I think. Even though it says complex on here, I don't really see it as complex. It is very delicate, as they say. Clean, refreshing. Uh, it's really good. I don't know that it's my favorite Belgian white, but it's definitely not anything bad. I think it tastes pretty good. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also real quick, I'm going to knock out the kick not kickstarter oh my goodness my brain's in all kinds of places the patreon backers today knock those out early thank you allison alan jesse Catherine, and cliff 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 has cliff Cliff has cliff cliff has upped his patreon subscription level this month and he's going to knock it back down now that we butchered his name three or four times boom that's how it works on this podcast hey that's okay but thank you cliff for joining these other fine folk here that get shouts out, shouted out. Oh my God, I cannot speak tonight. I'm tired, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but thank you for joining them at the high tier of the podcast pledge level on Patreon.com. If you would like to be like these wonderful people that help us keep the podcast going and keep improving quality and giving us the availability to do other things, 
You can do that by going to patreon.com slash malthousegames, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S games. Aside from that, we can finally get to the banter. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to banter about today? I've been playing some Magic the Gathering Arena on my PC. It's been fun. It makes me realize how much better I am at cube than any other type of magic. It's also that I know Brian's cube, so I know what cards are good and what cards go together. But when I play a new set, I have no research in it, and so I'm like doing these drafts against the computer with this new set going, I don't know what to look forward to. Is this here? What's the archetypes for this set? And so it's that. But it's been really fun. I've been playing it, and then we've been playing Hunt Showdown on Xbox, which... If you haven't seen Hunt Showdown, I at least recommend looking into it for the sheer fact of uh, the theme and atmosphere are really awesome to me. Basically, you are supernatural hunters in Louisiana in like the early 1900s, and you're trying to find clues to lead you to this big bad boss, which is either the spider, the assassin, or the butcher right now, I think, at least on Xbox. And you have to get your clues and then survive the other zombies and stuff out and about get there and then defeat them and then escape because other players are on the map and they're also trying to get these bosses to get the bounties to take back. So it's pretty neat. It's a fun game. I think it'd make an awesome board game because the feel of it, the music in it is great and I just think it's cool. But that's that's what I've got going on lately, aside from more Assassin's Creed Odyssey, of course. I have had more struggle than I can say. Than I can verbalize how how do I communicate this that I have been through? You're so dramatic. I am. <laughs> have I told you guys about my kiddie pool? My kiddie pool experience? I don't I, know. I don't think I have. Okay, so this is like the most first world problem ever. I realize I'm just complaining and that there are bigger problems in the world and I am very hashtag blessed to be where I am. But here's the thing. Four times. I have tried and failed, as in succeeded, in putting it in my cart, paying for it, and within anywhere between three hours all the way to seven minutes before my item is to be delivered, it is canceled because it is out of stock, which I don't know how within seven minutes of arriving at my house they run out of stock. But I have been trying to get one of those goddamn plastic kiddie pools. Not any of the blow-up ones, not the fancy ones, not the ones that actually hold water more than eight inches high. No, one of those $6.88 kiddie pools I have tried from Walmart pickup twice, including this evening. I have tried from Target. I have tried from Ace. Each of those places have failed to deliver. No pun intended. Actually, pun intended. Pun intended. They have failed to deliver on my kiddie pool because all I want is just one of those plastic dinky... I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I think everybody had them in the 90s. Yeah. And like at Walmart, they're like six eighty eight. And they have like the little plastic fish on them and they're adorable and stuff. Mm -hmm. I just want to be able to fill a kiddie pool in six inches of water, sit crisscross applesauce in bucket of water outside with a beer and just, just be. It's not the same. Like I, I've, I've taken baths, but baths aren't the same, man. Something about sitting outside in water, even if it is six inches and only goes to your knees when you're sitting crisscross applesauce. But that's been the white whale, as our friend Danielle has said. She's called it uh, the Moby Dick of my quarantine experience. Call me Ishmael because that is my struggle. I also learned how to grow mushrooms and coffee grounds and trash bags. That's, <laughs> yep. That's basically it. Just yep. <laughs> I was about two weeks. Like I, I had a, I got, I had a sick day, saw clients, 
learn how to grow mushrooms in trash bags and coffee grounds, and failed to get my white whale my kiddie pool. And it sucks, and hopefully soon we can get a kiddie pool. But since we're not going into grocery stores and shopping, it's making it very hard because what you do is you go on in the morning and say, I want this. They go shop for it at 4 p.m. to deliver it at 6 p.m. or to for you to pick it up, which means in the window of you ordering it to when they actually go shop it, they sell out. And that's the issue is they don't do it immediately. They wait and then do multiple. I have a really hard life, y'all. I don't think that's true. <laughs> Delton also gave me a couple of new books to read. I did. Uh, one is Death in Her Hands, and the other one is... Parakeet. Parakeet. I, I got halfway through Death in Her Hands last night, and it is a very neat story. I have to tell you, it is unlike any I've ever read. It is a, The book is completely stream of consciousness from, from the perspective of one 72-year-old woman, and there's murder, and there's a dog, and that's all I got. Because I'm not going to spoil anything for you. You got to read it. Well, I'm glad you like it. Books are Haley's thing. If she's having a bad week or anything, I buy her a book. And he picks out the best books always. And luckily, Amazon has one day shipping. He's a good, he's a good Delton. I try. Well, so we move on to the game. I think so. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. Speaking of wanting my own oasis. What are we talking about today, Delty Poo? Well, I don't think this has an oasis, but... (laughs) La Isla. The game we're going to talk about is La Isla, is how I'm going to pronounce it. This is a game from Stefan Feld with art and design by Alexander Young. It is put out through Ravensburger Aaliyah, which is the same company that does quite a few games out of Germany. Um, La Isla is a, an older game now. I'm not really sure when it was produced exactly, but I think it was 2014. So it's been around for quite a while. It might be older than that. I don't know. So La Isla is a game where you play explorers on an island trying to collect these different rare species of animal. Uh, you are going to compete to try to collect uh, not only collect the most of like these different types of animals, but also score them better than other people. It's a really interesting way. So the game's pretty simple once you sit down and learn how to play it. Uh, It uses multi-use cards, which I've talked about before as something I really, really enjoy in a game. These cards have three different uh, spots that you will use them. So on a turn, you'll draw three cards. You'll place one card in each of the three dedicated areas, action A, action B, and action D. And then you will resolve your turn doing A, B, C, which is putting somebody on the board, and D. The cards can either gain you resources, move certain animals up on the tracks, which is going to be how you score more points, and how the game trigger will end. And then it gives you some kind of special ability. So the way the game is going to work is the animals are surrounded by these little areas of different colors. The green area, which is indicated by like a water bottle. The yellow area indicated by a hat. You know, very, um, it has a very, I can't think of the movie, Indiana Jones feel. Yeah. Of everything. It really does. Uh, But basically, the different animal tokens on the board are surrounded by, uh, they're in the middle of shapes, and they have numbers in them. So some will be in this area that means three people have to be surrounding them to be captured. Uh, Two people on other sides have to be captured, and that's how many of your people you'll need to actually capture that animal. So essentially, you're going to be drawing some cards. You're going to be gaining resources, which you have to use to put your people out. If you put your person on a yellow cowboy hat, you need to have two cubes 
of the yellow color unless you have a special ability from one of your cards that says you only need one. You'll put your people out, surround these animals by however many required uh, number of your explorers. You'll collect those tokens, gain points based on the number of tokens for each animal as that animal moves up their own individual track. You'll be moving different tracks up, and then you'll go to the end of the game until everybody has uh, added up their scores and somebody has more victory points than the other players. It's not super complicated. You kind of have to take a look at it. Like if you looked at the board, the way it was set up and kind of how it played for just, I don't know, a few minutes, you'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. Uh, it's kind of weird to explain because the way the cards work uh, and things like that. But what I like about the game is exactly that. It's fairly simple. It's not difficult. You see the animals on the board. You see how many people in, in the numbers. You can easily read them of how many it takes to surround the animal to capture it. You can easily see the color of location you're uh, going to put your person down on. Now, I will say the two, is it the yellow and the light brown or the dark brown and the black that are very close together in cubes? I think it's the dark brown and the black. No, the purple it's, and the brown. It's the, it's the yeah, it's kind of weird, but some of the cubes are close to the same color on our version, and so it's kind of hard to distinguish there. But the game's real simple to play, but what makes it fun for me are those multi-use cards. Every turn, you're going to draw three cards. Now you have a choice. What do I want to do with these cards? Do I want to get the resource from this one or from this one? Do I want to move this animal up the track, gaining a lot of points? Or do I want to move this animal up the track, gaining a few points, so this other card can be used for its special ability? And vice versa. And you go back and forth and back and forth trying to decide. So I love that within the simplicity of the way the game works, which is really just put a guy out on the board by paying some resources and hopefully capture an animal and gain points by moving the tracks up. You know, it's nice and simple to, to play but those multi-use cards make you have very tough decisions on how you go about that play. And I love that. I love when it's simplicity in terms of true action, but then you have that, you know, amount of choice. I really like how you, if you play your cards right, Badumtis, you can kind of be a social loafer in this game. Like if I see Delton is really trying to push up the, the moth track. Is that the, the pink track? Is that right? Oh, that's the green track. I'm sorry. If I see Delton's really trying to push that up, I can either try to push the game along and join him in it or just kind of like start to invest in those moths as well and getting more more points for it. Like mm -hmm. it, it's really easy to kind of tag along with somebody else and it's annoying to the other player, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, because you're like, yeah, I get five points and ah, uh, you get four points. And so you kind of got to, like I said, play your cards right, but um, just, or else somebody might social loaf on you. So I really like to spread myself out and try to get one of everything as much as I can. I think you get extra points for that, too. Yeah, at the end of the game, you're not, you get an extra 10 points for each complete set of five different animal tiles, which is really nice. Um, and then you get your other points and remaining resources. So yeah, getting a complete set can actually put you winning, depending on how close the game is. So it is best to diversify. And I kind of gave away my strategy there, because you, you typically go for um, one to two, like solid. I try to be very strong in one or two areas, yeah. And I mean, not, not to say that either strategy is better because I believe we both won and lost at the game. But my strategy is just kind of tag along on everybody else when we played with Brian. Yeah. Um, and ma making that easy. If I see you going for other animals, I don't go for them until it's convenient. And the thing is too, if you're going for animals that I'm trying to get, it's keeping them from both of us in a way we're fighting over them. So neither, neither one of us will ever get a ton of points from that one animal, but it is easy then to, you know, um, to gain points off of it, especially because some people are going to be moving that track up without gaining benefit from it. So that way, when you do move the track up again, it's in the next tier. So you get more points kind of thing. 
since, you know, it keeps going up in value. Like Delton said, it's a really simple game. Uh, him and I have played it together. We've also played it with Brian a few times. Uh, the graphic design, the the art's really neat, and for the most part, good to see. Um, like Delton said, the, the brown and the purple cubes look a hell of a lot alike, so that's a little bit difficult to distinguish there. But really, it's a fun it's a fun game, and also the guy in it kind of looks like Delton if Delton were an archaeologist in the 30s. That's true. I do like, uh, with the graphic design, some of the special abilities on these cards that stick around where it's like, you know, one less cube if you go to this color region. Most of those are easy to understand. There are a few that are harder, but they have a little guide. So that makes it easier to look at the guide and go, oh, this is what this does. That's just fine. But yeah, I mean, there's not a ton to say about the game in terms of gameplay because it's, again, it's not super complex. It's not a long game. It took us like 30 minutes maybe to play it. It's easy to set up. I do like in the setup that uh, the board is made up of these interesting shaped tiles that all come together in this like wheel pattern, which means the game is always going to be different as to where everything is placed because it's like more expensive to place where somebody already has someone and things like that. So you can try to block people out, but it's nice because you'll never come back to the same board, most likely. So I do really enjoy that as well. But yeah, it's a really simple game. It's fun. It's easy. It's quick. And there's some fun decision making within those multi-use cards. But all in all, I think it's one that's easy to introduce because Brian even said after he played it, he was like, I really like that. It's simple. It's fun. There's choices to be made. And so I always take that as a seal of approval. And I came up with a malt house game seal of approval. Was that? Two clanking glasses. From now on, if we approve of a game, it's going to be two clanking glasses. The Malt House Games double, double clank. Double clank? Double clank. Okay. I'll have to deal with that. I, I just made that up, but it's canon. It's canon now? Yes. Okay. Executive decision. All right. We did it. But double yeah. clank. So there you go. That is La Isla from Stefanfeld and Ravensburger Games. Um, you can pick this up very cheaply, most everywhere. It's like... I don't know, between 15 and 30 bucks, I think new. Unless you get it used. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So for the topic today, as Haley was talking and mentioned buying a game used, that's what we wanted to talk about was buying games secondhand. But before that, let's get into the second beer. So the second beer today is Rainbow Sherbet from Prairie Artisan Ales. No, it is not Sherbert. <laughs> I was just about to say Sherbert. You, you've been taught <laughs> incorrectly from a childhood because I was. And when I learned it was Sherbet, not Sherbert, I was very upset. Not Sorbet? And defiant. It's also not Sorbet. Uh, Sherbert. But I have learned it is Rainbow Sherbet. Uh, it, this is a sour ale with rainbow sherbet flavors, uh, <laughs> brewed here in Oklahoma by Prairie Artisan Ales. There is no other dis- like distinguishing things on the can aside from the fact that it's an adorable, interesting can. It looks like something that would come out of a Beatles cartoon in 1967, like whenever they first discovered acid. Yes, it does. It has that yellow submarine vibe. Yeah, but I don't know what rainbow sherbet flavors are. So there were the the main sherbet flavors were orange, uh. I'm blanking. Orange, lime, and strawberry? What? I know orange and lime. No, no, no. It's cherry. Cherry. Because it's more acidic than strawberry. It's cherry, it's orange, it's lemon, and it's lime. Oh, I always like the lemon and lime and orange. I never liked cherry as a flavor for ice cream. See, that was my most favorite in the sherbet. Sherbet. 
I always know it's wrong because I think of Bert and Ernie where he's like, sure, Bert. <laughs> I was about to, my God, I was about to make that joke too, but then you moved your head to the microphone. This is why we work so well together. <laughs> this will be half the episode now. I was about to say that. I was about to say that. Blessed. What is the percentage of alcohols in this here beverage, Delty Poo? You know, I didn't read that for the first one. If it's even on the can, I didn't see it on the can. Let's look. Um, The first one was 5% alcohol by volume. And this one, the Rainbow Sherbet, says, come on, come on, 5.2. So not too high. Not bad. Let's give it a whiff. Oh, my God. It smells like candy. It smells like sweet tarts. Uh, my, I poured from the bottom of the can more. Haley poured more from the top of the can. Mine's a little cloudier, hazier, like a dark lemonade. What? It's not sweet tarts. What are, what are those little, like, they Ooh. were little discs that were covered in, like, a candy coating. Chew, were, chewies. Chewies. Chewy. It, t- it chew, smells like chewies. S- sour chew. Yeah, they came uh, in, like, that purple tube. Yes, And, like, yes, you yes. had, like, to tear the foil it off. It was something like a sour something chew or something. Yeah. It's like, they're che- delicious. I think they're chewy. That's exactly like what this. it smells like. Like, I had a flashback Holy to crap. 1994 watching Disney cartoons in my parents' bedroom smelling this. It also kind of smells like Fun Dip. Oh. Oh my God, it does. <laughs> Aside Whoa. from the chalky stick that you use, it smells like fun dip. God, that was my favorite part. All right, here we go. Let's taste it. Go ahead and t- I'll let you taste it first. That way you can describe it with your descriptive powers. That is a chewy. That is a chewy. That's like a sour tart chewy that is in a beer chewy. form. Holy shit. It doesn't shit. even taste like beer. It tastes like a chewy. It's, like, don't uh, give this to kids, man. That's illegal. And they will, this, oh, it tastes like candy. It even has that little hint of like, this is fake candy flavor that you get from those. You know what I'm talking about? That after flavor? Aftertaste? It's there. I think they just took those candies, blended them up, and made a beer. This does not taste like beer. This is wild. It tastes like those (laughs) chewies. This is so And being that it's a sour, it has the tartness from those too. Wow. What is that? I want to see what those are actually called. Hang on. I'm I'm going to look (laughs) on my phone now. We are doing investigative... uh, What's it called? Investigative journalism right now. Will you hand me the can while you're doing that, please? I would like to take yes, a gander. Yes, absolutely. Here you go. This is... Wow. This, this might win now for most peculiar beer that we've had. Oh, but it's delicious. Wow, and I like these different people in the car. So if you look on okay, the can... Okay, those, those are Sweet Tarts Chewy. Sweet Tarts Chewy. Okay, so when I said Sweet Tarts earlier, that was... That yeah, was... Ch- Sweet Tart Chewy Sours, and they come... I think they come in the thing. Or are you thinking... Hold on. Yeah, that's. I think that's what I'm thinking. So if you look at this can, there's like one guy who's too big for his car, one person who's too small for their car, a uh, yeah. guy looking concerned that has children squawking in the back, uh, a couple that are yelling at each other, a couple that is having a grand old time, people by themselves, people facing opposite directions. This is just someone with a bunch of crap in the back of their car. That is me. Like, this is a very darling can. Gosh. It's like Rainbow Rainbow Bright grew up. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to become a bartender instead of like saving the world and such. I forgot what Rainbow Bright actually did. So Sweet Tart Chewy Sours are the closest to the image I'm imagining, but they're not the same thing that I'm thinking of, but that's probably the closest I'm going to get. Well, we also, like, when's the last time you had those? A long, long ass time ago. It was last, like, not even last decade. It was two decades ago since I've had this. It probably changed the packaging since 1997. Do you remember the the tiny bite-sized sweet tarts that were yeah. the little like the sweet chewy, but they were hard those mm-hmm. I used to just plow through a bag of those. Oh heck yes. 
So good. They were they were choking hazards, man. Oh yeah. Those are seriously choking hazards. Oh, they yeah. probably don't even make them anymore. No, they do. They do. I just saw. Yep. Oh gosh. You can still buy them. That's wild, man. <laughs> they come with like warnings on the side. They should. It's a surprise that we're not all dead by our childhood. What we did. This beer is so strange. It just tastes like candy. I'm. We've been on this beer for a minute, but man, rainbow <laughs> sherbet from Prairie. <laughs> I just don't know what else to say. We should probably move to the discussion Let's part. Let's move to the discussion. So today for the topic, we wanted, wanted to talk about buying games secondhand. It's something that I've done a handful of times. It's not been a lot. I've done it a handful of times, and I have sold games a couple, uh, probably three or four times. I felt like it's something that you kind of had to warm yourself into. Like when I first met you, and of course you were yes. just building your collection, but we didn't really look at the secondhand stuff. Maybe it was like ever due to kind of losing some of the ego that you get whenever you become a board game player. Like we all, we all, when we first get into the hobby, oh. have like that board game ego. Or maybe it's I got student debt, but we kind of <laughs> moved to <laughs> to buying well, more secondhand. It's it, really what it comes down to is I feel like most people that start into the tabletop gaming hobby approach the hobby more like yes as a gamer but also a collector and a collector doesn't want to buy something that's not in new condition for the most part you know what i mean like the only time that something like that is different is if you're an antiques collector or someone looking for old memorabilia from the 20s that you're like boom here you go you know so buying board games buying them new you don't have to worry about damage you don't have to worry about how it smells is there anything missing is anything creased or dented how do they take care of it? How worn out is it? Like, you don't have to deal with that with a new game. So for me, that was part of the problem buying used games early on was I was worried, well, what if it's messed up? And I think some of that too comes down to as having, uh, as a person who has that collector mindset with a lot of things, especially early on, uh, it's hard to push past that and say, it's okay if it's not perfect. I'm here to play it. It's not, uh, the board game hobby, the games don't hold value. They don't. They're not, you're not going to buy a board game at $60 and it'd be worth $60. The minute you break the shrink wrap, it's worth like 45 Then the minute you play the game two or three times, it's dropped to 30 Like, you know, that's something that you have to get past is that these aren't going to be something like uh, collectible action figures or some sort of, you know, mint coin that you can't take it out of the box. Does I don't know. That, does that make sense? It does. But my German edition of the Mad Magazine board game has held the same $13 <laughs> since 1969. That's true. That's true. But a lot of games, for the most part, aren't going to retain that kind of value unless they're collector's editions or limited runs or something like that. So I had to push past that. Yeah. Buying used is fine now for me. And I think that like, that's, that's what I was meaning like, at the board game ego. Like mm -hmm. whenever you're first getting into the hobby, like everything has to be new and pristine, yep. just like when you get into every any hobby. Yep. Like you become a guitar player no i gotta get a new guitar yeah. like it's my guitar mm -hmm. and so you kind of have to push past that whenever you really get into the hobby i think so i think that it's a natural development of anybody in any hobby that has a um a collection uh, approach because that's the thing with the board game hobby yes you're a player and yes the it's part of a community you want to be in but it's also collection it, it is collecting and some people are better about not viewing it as collecting viewing it as am i playing these yes am i not get rid of them if I'm not playing them. Uh, that's hard for me to do because I like collecting things. But yeah, I think it's just a mindset. You have to get to that point. It's natural progression to say buying used games is fine. 
I think that the board game collection is the only thing that could really keep us from living in a tiny house. We need a tiny house for the board games. <laughs> well, kind of my computer and audio setup too, because this is quite expansive, at least with this desk. However, if I was able to mount monitors on the wall, that would be easier. We can make it happen, but we'd have to buy a tiny house for the board games. That's true. They would need their own tiny house. But I think that's one thing with it. Um, another thing with buying games secondhand uh, is you have to think about that when you purchase a game secondhand, you are not supporting the publisher. Mm. You're not giving the designers money. You're not giving the, the uh, game designers, the artists, the graphic designers, the editors, you know, the translators, the rulebook writers. None of those people are benefiting from that. So there is also that side of things where when you buy a game secondhand, you're not supporting sometimes the people you really want to support. Um, and that has at times driven me to buy games brand new saying, I'm just going to buy this new because I love this company. I love what they do. I love this designer. And I want them to get the most money they can from my purchase of the game. However, adversely, buying a game secondhand can be a way for you to purchase a game from someone you maybe dislike or aren't sure if you like their games. And so you'd rather try it before buying more of their product. And it can even introduce you to companies and designers that you've never heard of. And then you'll say, oh, well, you know, I'd like to get their other games. And then you could buy those new. But it's just, it's kind of a hard, you know, hard thing. It depends on your outlook. And also, like, if you're getting into the hobby, I mean, buying secondhand could be a better way because you could at least knock $10, $15 off of a $40, $50 game. I feel like that's the biggest thing is saving money. This is not a cheap hobby, especially when you're beginning. Absolutely not. Because when you're first beginning, you're buying every game that you want. You're buying everything. I haven't purchased a game now, aside from backing Communist Cats for you on Kickstarter. Yeah. And uh, we pre-ordered Forgotten Waters from Plaid Hat and got that in. Aside from those two this year, I don't think we've purchased a game since last year. Mm -mm, that was our New Year's resolution to not purchase any games until we clear our shelf, which we've done a good job. Yeah, we've only done a few things because, like, Forgotten Waters, we, I mean, we helped playtest that yeah. uh, a couple times. and you But know, we need a third player and we're in the middle of a pandemic, so we kind of got our hands tied. <laughs> yeah, we really want to, like, you know, for transparency there, we want to review this game that we purchased that we like and actually review the retail copy, but it takes three people to truly experience the game. And we just haven't really had an appropriate time to sit down with three or four people and have several hours to flesh out rules and go through it and actually sit and play and enjoy the game. So I don't want to talk about it based off our, our experiences of the non-finished game. I want to talk about the finished retail copy. So that's why that you haven't heard anything from that yet. I don't want to do the two-player variant. It does not seem like it would be as enjoyable as having more. I still think it'd be fun. But I think from our experiences, the more players, the better. Oh, yeah. We played it with so, a, a full, what did we have, eight? I think so. Oh, my god. I don't gosh. even know if this game goes to eight anymore. But. That was a riot. <laughs> it was so much fun. Yeah, so there's that. But anyway, yes. Uh, one thing with buying secondhand as well is I have sold secondhand. So I have contributed to this. Um, I always thought about talking a topic on how do you sell your collection or how do you sell games. I figured I'd just rope it into here. Work. I look at the Amazon price, which is generally the cheapest price, and I try to cut the Amazon price by around 30%, depending on how large of a cut that is. And that's my price on games, because Amazon's sometimes the cheapest, and then I want it to be a good amount under that, because I take care of my games, and I don't think there's any game on my shelf that you would open and say, this is beat up. Not even I'm, the one that my mom ate chips while playing? Those cards are now sleeved. 
So there you go. But no, I'm very cautious with games. So that's, but that's how I do it. I approach it in that manner. But yes, buying games secondhand, you can get some really awesome games, which is the reason this came up is La Isla was one of those games I bought secondhand. Somebody had used meeples instead of the uh, little explorer tokens that come with the game. I now have a set of meeples because of that. So that was an added bonus. But yes, it was at the board game bazaar at BGG Con last year. And I was able to pick it up for like $15 or I think, 10 I think that's kind of the trade-off too, is like whenever you, you buy those games, do you know if all the pieces are there or not? Mm-hmm. And do you like that's sit scary. there and do you count the cards? You do. You oh. absolutely do. All right. I do. You're not do a gambler, be- I see. I'm not a gambler. It's like when we picked up that copy of Raw at a garage sale. I sat in the car and counted every single token, every single tile, every single everything to ensure it was all there. Oh, I know. Your mom and I were sitting there going, you already bought it. No, you guys were walking around at other garage (laughs) shows. I said, I'm going to wait in the car. And then I went through it. I know. It was after that we went and looked. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But still. But yeah. So, I mean, buying games secondhand, there's pros and cons to it. The the pros are going to be you can pick up more games secondhand that may be harder to find. You can pick up games for a more affordable cost, which means... Uh, for people on a limited budget, or even if you wanted to spend that same budget on more games, you can do that. The cons are going to be, you usually don't know the actual quality and contents until after you've made the purchase, and you're not directly supporting those designers and game companies in doing so. So there's pros and cons to it. It just depends on, you know, how much do you care about one thing or the other, and how limited are you by budget? I mean, that's really going to be the two biggest factors. I kind of like buying the second hand myself. I mean, because I feel like uh, with secondhand, you get a lot of the the classics as well, ones you haven't heard of. So people might be getting, like you've said before, people might be getting rid of them, calling their collection of ones that don't interest them. And you're like, oh, what is this? You don't because with buying from a board game shop, of course, they're going to be the hottest games, going to be the newest games, ones people want to play. But I feel like it's an opportunity, like you said, to explore some of the older titles. That's very true. I guess the only other downfall is then you're not supporting your local game store. That's true. Which is also another thing, unless you have a game store like Game HQ that we have down south in South Oklahoma City. They've got a ton of old games and new games, all still new. So you can find almost anything that you really want to find there, at least a lot. That's where we got Mr. President. We did buy Mr. President for like five bucks off the used shelf. That was one of the first used games we probably bought. Yep. I think and it so. was mine. There you go. Well, yeah. So I think, that, I think that's a pretty good little discussion on buying games used. But I guess that really leads us directly to our question. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special bite-sized question. Which is? The question for this episode is, what is your favorite secondhand find? Does not have to be board game related, but you may do board game and non-board game, whatever you want to do. Would you like to go first? I guess I will go first. I'm going to try to do board game and non-board game related, because I think that that's more fun. I think my favorite board game related secondhand find was purchasing Raw at that garage sale. It's the old Uber Play version of Raw, the one we talked about the other day here on the podcast. Uh, just finding the older copy of the game all intact in a good condition for a good price for that version of a game I've always wanted to play. It just kind of all came together and it was neat. It was cool to walk up to a garage sale and literally have no other games, but for some reason they had Raw. And I was like, cool, Rainer Knizia, done. And that was it. So that was just really neat. Um, In terms of other secondhand finds, it's really hard to say. I've bought so much stuff, but I honestly think my favorite, and this isn't even that it's a great find, my favorite secondhand find recently 
has been buying all the Christmas decorations from Goodwill. Oh my God, because we I've, made out like bandits. I've been buying wreaths and I bought a bunch of snowmen, a, a ton of snowmen stuff because I, I think snowmen are adorable. A ton of snowmen stuff for the mantle and I've got a Santa Claus. And so I've been trying to get that kind of stuff. But every time during last Christmas, just saying, I, I need some more snowmen. I'm going to check out this Goodwill. I'm going to hit this Goodwill. And having a goal and knowing that people are getting rid of old decorations, it was so much fun to buy all these different decorations and now actually make our house feel decorated for the holidays. And it's like every year, I'm just going to keep going to Goodwill and trying to find more snowmen shit and decorate. Oh, man, we should have looked right after Christmas. We really should have, but it was just, you know, 2020's been weird. And we're in a plague. But this year, well, maybe not this year, but next year we will look for more. What about you? So, my favorite find ever was at the Elk City Flea Market. Okay. I was 16 years old, and this was like long-haired Haley who was obsessed with hippie culture and dressed like she was a flower child every day. And uh, I'm walking around the flea market in Elk City, and this guy's always there selling records. And wouldn't you know it, he had a copy, an original copy, of the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So I go up to him and I say, hey, how much is your Sgt. Pepper album? And he looks at me and he says, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. And so I'm salty. I am so damn salty. And I'm just like storming about in my like flared pants and everything. Uh, traversing around a 90 degree day in the middle of October because it's Elk City in the middle of Oklahoma. And uh, I'm about to leave the flea market and there's this guy who's dressed in a denim shirt. He has long hair, long beard. He's wearing denim bell-bottom pants and he's probably like 70. And he's sitting on top of a crate and he has a milk crate full of records. And I go up and I'm looking at his records and he goes, yeah, I just got back from California last week. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And guess what I find? Same one. Same Sgt. Pepper's album with the original cutout still inside. So the original Sgt. Pepper's album had uh, cutouts inside that you can cut out these little marching bands and whatnot. And I said, oh, my God. And like, I looked at him and I said, how much is this? He looks at it. He goes, which one is it? I said, Sgt. Pepper. He goes, ah, $2. I bought that, some bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately. Immediately. And I walked out of that and I put on my Sgt. Pepper album and my 2004 Dodge Durango and bebopped all the way back home. It was a great day. There's also one called Heaven's Just a Sin Away. And apparently there was some, like, I don't know, like, cultural phenomenon about them in Oklahoma because I have been to many garage sales in the metro. Yeah. I have found that thing probably four or five times at garage sales. Really? Heaven's Just a Sin Away. And I have a copy, so I haven't bought one, but the it's heck? everywhere. That's hilarious. That's one of those things I never did was get into records, really. Like, you've purchased me two records, Battlestar Galactica, that I think we got sometime, and then you bought me Opiate by Tool. No, I'm sorry, you bought me Undertow by Tool. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, I have those two, but that's all I've got. I found the Battlestar Galactica one at the Elk City Flea Market the year we started dating. Was that where it was? Yeah. It's the original soundtrack to the original Battlestar Galactica show from, like, the 70s. I've never listened to it. Just left it. I don't even know if it really plays. I don't know it how might. pristine this, but it was a dollar, and I was like, oh, Dalton would like this. Because I like Battlestar Galactica, which is why I finally put my sticker on the car, on my car. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that's good for the question of the episode. Well, thank you again for tuning in to the Malthouse Games podcast and listening to us, you know, just yap. Yeah. I think yapping is the term. We had a lot of nostalgia this episode. 
a lot of reminiscing with the sweet tarts and the records and just talking about everything old that ev- we've ran into this episode. Yeah. It's just weird. <laughs> it was it was fun though. I enjoyed this episode. I did too. Hopefully you listener, yes, talking to you. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode as well. Cuz sometimes we forget people actually listen to this. We really do. Sometimes it just ends up being us talking back and forth randomly. But it's all good. If there's anything that you all would like to ask us to answer personally or answer on the podcast, a game you want us to look at, but not a topic too to cover, not too personal. Not too you personal. know what I mean. Uh, preferably board game related or beer related, I guess. We're turning the Dear Abby. Exactly. <laughs> you can always send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. You can also find us on all social media at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. That's at Squirrely Geek. I'm trying to think. I feel like there's something I'm forgetting, something I'm missing, but I don't think there is. I really don't. Call me Lovely again? No. That's for off-air. I'll call you Lovely off-air later. Okay, I'm right done. Now, I'm right fine with that. And now you're stinky. What? I call you stinky all the time, though. That's true. It's fine. But yes, so thank you again for tuning into the Mothouse Games podcast. Uh, I really feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, this is terrible. It's because we normally do the shout outs at the end of the episode because we Maybe forget. that's what it is, but I did them early because I yep. wanted to make sure I got Cliff in there. So you're safe. I think I'm safe. Okay, that's good to know. Good to know that I'm safe because it's stinking July 11th. This is crazy. This episode's July 12th. Whatever. Thank you again for tuning in to the <laughs> Games Podcast, episode 70. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Bye. <laughs>